1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Olinger. As always, Sean, I think the only thing we can talk about today is it's what everyone's talking about. One Tony Bradley, destroyer of the Chicago Bulls, who Joel Embiid has given his blessing to for the Sixers to build around him as they rightfully should
0: yeah, it's very, very big of Joel to to know that a starting center controversy would only divide the team. and he's he, you know, he's a team player. so he's gonna, you know, graciously hand the baton over to our new star and MVP candidate Tony Bradley. So kudos to Joel for just b- being an all-around team player.
1: <laughs> Definitely uh, great game from the Sixers last night as they beat the Bulls 127 to 105. Tony Bradley did go seven of seven from the field for 14 points. I mean, all around it was just a really fun game from the Sixers without Embiid and Simmons. I mean, Furcon with 16 points, Dwight with 18 points, Shake with 10, Seth Curry with 12, Matisse with 13 and and five steals. Uh, Tony Bradley had his 14. Tobias had 24. Danny Green hit three threes. It was kind of like everyone who played like Vincent Poirier had two points. He scored. <laughs> yeah, did I, I I know they really
0: emptied the bench at the end, but there was a point in the fourth quarter where everyone on the team that had played had scored. I don't know if that, I didn't check Ter- at the end Terrence of the game. Fer- you won't believe it, but
1: Terrence Ferguson is the <laughs> one who did not score.
0: Oh, always the turd in the punch bowl that Terrence
1: Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's ever been a guy who like, you know, like sometimes there are guys you'll give up on or like, no, everyone knows Vincent Poirier is not doing anything for this team, but we still like him. Has there ever been any moment where there's been a Sixers fan said like, I'm a Terrence Ferguson guy i don't think there is
0: yeah it's it's interesting with you know social media and the internet and how it is today there there always seems to be some i'll use the word hive because of mike scott but yeah a a version of the hive for every player like the stands are out there for anyone you can think Mm -hmm. of generally even if it's a very small group but yeah i I haven't i haven't stumbled across the ferguson
1: hive yet like vincent poirier like he's funny like you kind of know he's you know he's bad for an NBA player but it's still funny to watch him he still seems like just a fun guy to be around or I know some Bulls fans and Cristiano Felicio is not a good player but it's still kind of funny to watch him there will be those who defend him in that way there's no like oh you know it's so fun when Terrence Ferguson misses the rim on that three
0: yeah it's and and combine that with uh he had some off the court stuff, yeah, right? I, I which know. we which we don't need to go into, but it's not just, good. Yeah, just th- there's not a, not a lot of like to like about the uh, Terrence Ferguson experience. So
1: uh, other than the fact that he was required throw in for the Danny Green trade, and we like Danny, yeah, um, even if a lot of people don't like Danny.
0: Yeah, we're we're pro Danny here on the Talking About Podcast. But yeah, yeah, really really fun game. Uh I, I don't think anyone would have expected that going in with no Joel and no Ben and uh man Matisse was just oh. came out came out just determined to stop anything Chicago could throw at them he was defending Zach Levine extremely well just cre- he had four steals in the first five minutes of the game which <laughs> I, I I wrote in my column last night that's that's like a week's worth of work for for most a lot of players and uh yeah. And, and then he, in the second half, he really turned it on offensively hit three threes and it wasn't just hitting spot up. Like they were running some dribble handoffs and Matisse was like stepping confidently into the shot himself. Mm-hmm. Um, just really good stuff from Matisse, which, you know, I've, I've kind of been consistent on this pod talking about how they need Matisse as part of the playoff rotation, just because he's probably their best non-Ben option as a wing defender. And they're going to need a lot of those guys to, to throw it to teams like Boston that have multiple really high caliber wings. So if, if Matisse can approximate this level of play, like that's amazing and really helps the Sixers' chances come postseason.
1: I mean, yeah, if he can just – again, if he's just like doing a little bit offensively, defensively, such a monster. Um, I want to get I, – I had some questions I was going to throw at you throughout this pod just to see if you could answer them. These are just random trivia questions. Did not on the sixer season so far, did not prepare you for them at all. What Which is a higher number? Matisse thibel steals per 100 possessions or Terrence Ferguson turnovers per 100 possessions? Like, which, which um, one? Do you
0: considering we just unexpectedly spent about 90 seconds bashing Terrence Ferguson, I'll go with Ferguson having the higher turnover number.
1: It was a trick question. They're both at three point nine. Matisse oh. gets three point nine steals per one hundred, which is ridiculous, and Terrence Ferguson commits three point nine turnovers per one hundred, which is like not horrible, but for a guy who's barely on the court, it's like wow, he's just so he gets out there and he turns it over a good amount.
0: Yeah, he he's he's really yoloing with his garbage <laughs> time minutes for sure.
1: I I just wanted though, to talk today about like. I know we're not a Bulls podcast, but I'm concerned about the Bulls after watching that game. There there were some plays like – so I wrote it down in my notes. I think the Bulls had a few plays where they were defending pick and rolls where they had the guy guarding the ball handler go over the screen, but then Wendell Carter Jr. stayed attached to his man down low. Like, it wasn't drop coverage. He wasn't guarding the rim. He was still guarding the man who just screened. So then you have the one defender trailing the ball handler, and Wendell Carter Jr. just on the other block next to this guy, and it's just a layup. Or he comes over too late, and then it's a dump down. And I'm just and the Bulls weren't sending a third guy to tag; they were just defending those two guys. And then there was like other times they would completely like there were tons of times they weren't sending a third guy to help, and the two guys would run to one of them. And it's an easy layup. Like it seemed like they had no concept; they just had to play some basic defense at times, which is troubling like, I'm, <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm like I, I wouldn't
1: I wouldn't want to be a Bulls fan waking up this morning from like, from what we saw last night when the Sixers beat the Bulls the first time there wasn't anything the Bulls really did wrong it was oh Joel Embiid is insane like when he <laughs> hits the step back over two of your defenders like Wendell Carter didn't do anything wrong he they had fine like ideas it's just sometimes the other team is better than you tonight it was like like I I, t- I tweeted about it and just Andrew Underberger for Rice Ricky Sanchez was saying how there were a lot of weird results across the against the first game back from the all-star break. Some weird stuff happens. That's all fine. But like, and I think Billy Donovan's a fine coach. I'm just, I don't know if it was a player's thing, a coach's thing. Just what, I'm hoping that was a one-time thing from the Bulls tonight. Obviously I haven't watched enough of them to know for sure what they're like defending those actions on a night to night basis, but that was very troubling watching that.
0: For sure. Yeah. Their rotations were non-existent. Uh, they had no energy on the defensive glass. Like, tony bradley and dwight and everybody else were just they just looked like they had they were playing in a different gear um yeah derek derek bodner had a of the athletic had a, a really funny tweet i thought he's he said uh after after watching tony bradley and dwight tonight are we are we sure joel's not a system player um <laughs> after his because it seeing those guys dominate it's like oh now i, I know joel's having an mvp caliber season but I, I really understand how he was able to put up 50 against Chicago. And I, I, I take your point that the the defense in the previous game wasn't nearly as bad as it was tonight. But, yeah, the the bones are not good for the defensive uh, stronghold in Chicago.
1: You know, I always hate when guys are like, oh, they just need to be tougher inside. Or, like, they just need to get a big man. I don't think that's how modern basketball works. The Bulls might be an exception to that, When I'm like, they could really use to, like, just a little more, like, strength and size. it felt like wendell and laurie like laurie markinen had a great shooting he made every three he took he was seven for seven yeah and yet it felt like they, good. they didn't matter <laughs> it just didn't matter like but after the third quarter what was happening and there was oh there's another i'm just rambling now on about the bulls defense but there there was one possession the sixers did a pick and roll with a with a shooter lifting from the corner and Otto Porter was like tagging. He like realized late. And, and Otto Porter is a veteran. You're supposed to expect him to know this stuff. He just lets Dwight walk right in front of him and get the easy lob. Like didn't even try and step in front of him or bump him. Just literally, he sees Dwight walking to the rim with no one on him and just lets him go there. And I'm like, are, yeah. He- well, that that that, that was
0: the- that was Otto's first game back after. Yeah, like he'd been out for a while. Maybe maybe he did forget how to how <laughs> to do it i don't know it, I, Yeah. i don't but... think this thing maybe
1: coach any i think it's just in general if you've played basketball in your life yeah. you know, kind of understands like oh there's no one else and it wasn't like there was another guy there who could have tagged it was the two other sixes were on the other side he was clearly the weak side tag guy like or like the strong side guy, whatever but it, it was clearly his responsibility and he just didn't do it
0: yeah
1: or or tyrese maxey's first play of the game both Denzel Valentine and Ryan Archidiakino ran with the screener and it just gave him the, mo- the most wide open pull up he's had all season. Like so many wild things, just so you know, we'll take the win for the Sixers. I don't think it means much besides that. My, my one conclusion is that, well, we know that <laughs> we know the Bulls, like if they get in that eight seed and the Sixers are the one, I like that matchup. <laughs>
0: yeah, I have zero fear of that matchup whatsoever. <laughs> um, And I, I think there was a point. At the past within the past week that it would have been a Sixers-Toronto, like, 1-8 matchup. Oh, or... my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I that's that the polar like... end of the spectrum okay. where I would absolutely fear that.
1: I, every Raptors game is like, because you <laughs> know what can happen when you're playing the Raptors. Just, like, I know there's going to be a ton of – I know Joel Embiid's going to try to spin at some point, and Fred VanVleet and his magnet hands are just going to rip the ball out. That's what Kyle, Kyle Lowry's going to take a charge chris boucher will hit every three he takes pascal will have like pascal might not score a ton but you also see your guys missing jump everyone misses threes against the raptors and i wonder why and then you see pascal siakam sprinting like his life is on the line to close out and make guys uncomfortable yeah and with then, his enormous wingspan oh tobias harris lives off of like overpowering smaller forwards but the one guy he probably can't overpower is og ananobi who i people i remember i tweeted something out like asking how strong og was and people saying like they've seen him cave other dudes chests in some guy who went to indiana saying like OG looks like he looks like an ox basically when you stand next to him like just it's like yeah that's a strong man for sure like this is just like the raptors are very much like please just get the raptors get in the 5c get in the 60 do not see do not want to see them first round
0: no no way um but Chicago, I'm 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 100% on board. I, I feel like that's a uh, that's kind of a f- a flip version of the Chicago Sixers matchup from years back. And the only possible downside would be a star like Derek Rose getting an injury. So if you're a Sixers fan and you have first round matchup against the Bulls, the only thing you're hoping for is no injuries coming out of that series, because I I, I wouldn't be the least bit concerned about Chicago upset.
1: Also, wanted to point out Mike Scott did hit a three last night. So, I'm hoping I'm not totally cursed with the. Whenever I write good, sorry about someone playing well, they start playing bad. Whenever I say someone's playing bad, they start playing well. I thought Mike was fine last night. So, you know, (laughs) good start.
0: Speaking of article curses, uh, how about Tobias getting fouled, but nearly throwing down that one handed hammer dunk going down the line? I would have
1: loved that. He (laughs) he went for that one.
0: (laughs) He really did um, with
1: one hand. Uh, I, I like I liked how Toby played. Toby was very like, again, Toby if, is a guy. If you are going to play pick and rolls defense, as bad as, as bad as the Bulls did last night, Toby can take advantage of that. Yeah, <laughs> he played. Perfect. He played
0: well. Um, it, it's I, it's interesting. I I don't even think we mentioned him when you're talking about everyone that played well, but he led the team in scoring, which you know he yeah. needed to do. Doc he Rivers. The
1: foul line eight. He took eight foul shots. He that's almost never happens for Tobias. Yeah, he's he's actually been better about that the last mm-hmm. he, I, I'd say this season as a whole, and especially like the
0: last two months or so. Um, but yeah, you do you you like to see that obviously. But uh, yeah, and he and he shook off the he had a really poor shooting start to the game. He, he missed his first five field goals, but he didn't let that deter him, and he 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 kind of did what people say when you you know the outside shot isn't falling right away like get some stuff at the rim see the ball go in and then and then maybe venture back out and by the end of the game he was hitting he hit that ridiculous step back jumper in the corner
1: yeah
0: uh so yeah just a really solid Tobias game didn't didn't get the 50 that Doc Rivers jokingly said pregame but uh still a really good game from him
1: I do remember one play in the first quarter I think it was where they swung it to Toby, and he was wide open from three after he had just missed one. But then he just kicked it to Danny Green instead, and Danny made it, so it was all fine. Although that's again one where I'm like, Toby, just you're a good shooter. If you have a three, just take it. But you're still a very good night for him. Danny Green hit those, hit the threes, did his, th- did Danny Green stuff. Although I found it hilarious when. He tried the one-handed – I don't know why when he's driving <laughs> he thinks he has to palm it and go one-handed. He tried a one-handed scoop going baseline, and it just like, it's like he just hit it against the backboard. Like it didn't even leave his hand, just straight up touched it against the side of the backboard and then going back down the other way.
0: Was that the one where he really yelled to the ref, like where was the foul
1: call? There was no foul call. Yeah, there, yeah, was there, no foul.
0: there it, it was just the weakest shot attempt at the rim. I, i've maybe ever seen and then he immediately he immediately like did the th- the, the dwayne wade throw your hands up at the, in the direction of the ref and uh take a split second before you run back on defense um but yeah danny was danny was good i don't i don't want to
1: and he and he, tried, he, he had a good game he tried to step back from mid-range which it was wide open but clanked pretty badly because again it's, danny green is just he's gonna make two plays every game where it's like ugh, that whatever bad play Danny Green makes, it's just not a normal bad play. It has to be a hilariously bad visual that you yeah. see on your screen. But, you know, I mean, still nine points plus 21, six rebounds, four assists, three of seventh and three. You know, really you know, good,
0: really good defense. I thought it, it was a I mean, Danny's usually solid defensively, but I, I
1: thought he played really well defensively last night, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you want me to get into more of these? Random trivia questions. I have them all lined up here. <laughs>
0: why don't Why don't you intersperse them throughout? Give me Give me another one now.
1: Okay, intersperse them throughout. Hmm. Okay, so let's go with this one. This This one's I think hard, and I think it'll lead us to something else after that. But what do you think of the Sixers lineups to play over one hundred possessions? Which do you think has the best net rating? Like, could you name the five players in the Sixers' best net rating of their lineup's to play over one hundred possessions?
0: Uh, the f- five, the starting lineup, but with Shake in place of Danny Green.
1: That is not correct. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Sixers' best lineup to play over one hundred possessions is Shake, Milton, Matisse, Thibault, Furkan, Korkmaz, Tobias Harris, Dwight Howard. At ah, the the Tobian. Bench unit, O'B and bench unit plus sixteen point eight and one hundred and twenty one possessions. Now the starters have played way more possessions than any other lineup on the team. It's very clearly like, I mean, Doc likes using his starting unit a lot, and that unit, that lineup's great. But um, and and yes, yeah, so. The Shake in for Danny lineup is at 95 possessions, and they are plus 52.2 per 100. Okay, I feel good about my answer then. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> fine. I'm just saying, I'm pointing out, like, the Toby <laughs> and Bench lineup, like, that's clearly the formula. Like, I mean, we saw it when they tried to go Ben and Bench without Toby and it didn't really work as well. You kind of need Tobias there as the... The, the shot creator. The pick and roll operator. A guy who can dribble along with Shake, so it's not just him. Yeah, and and it's not even offensively that lineup's like below average. Defensively, the Toby plus bench lineup is only giving up ninety one points per one hundred. That is really impressive. And yeah, that's that's great. Um, is that just like Matisse like going into? Is that is like how much of that is Matisse with those other four players? Probably a lot.
0: Um, I would. I, I think the main takeaway is just that they're obviously going up against other bench units. Mm-hmm. So the the bar to clear for them is a lot easier than it is for the the starting lineup groups. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of it's Matisse. Um, and then Dwight, I mean Dwight's been solid defensively this year, especially when he's going against opposing bench bigs. And yeah, everything about that lineup works because you're going against other bench units. You have Toby in there to do the the pick and roll and initiating, and you have only two non-shooters with, well, Matisse has actually been okay. Like,
1: like, If you do, if you had Toby Dwight pick and roll of shake Matisse and Furcon spacing, like they'll help off Matisse a little bit, but it's not like,
0: yeah, they're not going to leave him to completely alone. So that, mm-hmm. that, that really works. And you have uh, with Milton and Cork Moss, you have two of the more willing shooters to, to help you with your spacing. And Every, everything kind of clicks with with that that grouping there's there's no like obvious flaws like when you have Ben Matisse and Dwight that's just been I think that's been their worst lineup it's uh, not good. So, and there's just no there's not nearly enough shooting when you replace Ben for Toby so yeah it, it's it's been a really good group and good on Doc to he, he kind of recognized that early on and he stuck with it even when Mike Scott was out and it was and and Tobias didn't really have the backup four and they were kind of like moving some of the, the wings up and and playing a little smaller to kind of make up for that and hmm. and and still having Tobias uh take on that role while taking on his usual work with the starters and and good on like Tobias was there were games he was playing like 39 40 minutes um because they didn't have that backup four so all, all the credit to Tobias to um, you know not only playing well but playing
1: being available and playing highly high quantity of minutes as well I mean that's Tobias's thing it's it's so weird when he missed the games because it's like Tobias. it's the one thing you can count on for Tobias like his whole career he just he doesn't miss a ton of games partially because Tobias is a big dude <laughs> he's six eight kind of strong and he's not and it's another thing where if you're not going to be getting off the ground too much, Tobias, like he's trying to dunk a lot now, but like he's never been too much of a bouncy, like vertical explosion guy, you're not really landing wrong on anything too much. It's when you're a, when you're basically a power off the dribble shooting forward, I kind of think that like schemes well towards you having like some durability.
0: Yeah. It, you know, he's, he's such a, I don't know. It's it's kind of unique the way he his contributions are a little more under the radar than flashier players, mm-hmm. which is it, it's why when the all star teams were coming out, we were we were a little pessimistic about his chances just because getting twenty and eight every night on good efficiency numbers isn't doesn't quite get the same accolades and respect as guys that are these high volume shooters that occasion that that will more often drop 30 on a given night but some nights it'll be on a 10 for 26 shooting performance or whatever and efficiency and availability just doesn't have the same you know it, it doesn't garner the same attention as as some higher pro flyer players and Tobias uh you know, we, we, we've talked about him a lot this year, just the bounce back year he's had and everything he's contributed to the team this season. He's
1: And everything I've wrote, written about him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and everything Daniel was able to reverse jinx him into. Um, <laughs> it, it's all been really helpful, and he's a, a big reason the Sixers are number one in the East right now.
1: So you brought up the All-Star game. We should probably talk about that, because obviously that's actually the big story that's been going on with the Sixers after Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons went to get a haircut, Barber tested positive, and the, through like contact tracing, basically just it, w- it was best for them to just quarantine and not play in the All Star Game. Which you know, <laughs> I don't I don't know what else to say. It was it was it was a big letdown. On the obviously, it's the right decision to make. It's a big letdown when you're already probably not going to watch the All Star Game, being as it is what it is. And then you see the two players you're invested in the most are not going to be participating either. So. Like, did you did you watch the All-Star game, Sean? Yeah, I did. The game itself
0: was by far the worst part of the uh I, I was gonna say weekend, but it was actually one only one night, which was mm-hmm. the change this year due to uh COVID. Um but yeah, the game there was zero defense as it's usually the case, but Some years, if it's a close game, the fourth quarter is actually really interesting because guys kind of lock in and it becomes a how do guys look with only other elite players on the court? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was the case last year and it was actually highly entertaining and interesting to watch the the end of the All-Star game last year. Not the case this year. Um, Team LeBron blew out Team Durant. So even the fourth quarter was just a continuation of Hey, let's get nothing but open threes and dunks. Um, the only semi-interesting parts of the game were will Giannis continue not missing any shots, which he he did he, he did not miss a shot and got MVP of the All-Star game as a result, and and actually hit three threes, one of which was banked in, uh, so that was it was kind of funny. Uh, And the other thing was just how far can Steph Curry and Dame Lillard shoot their threes from? Uh, I think Dame took one from past half court.
1: Hmm.
0: And uh, I mean, that was kind of interesting in a, these guys are incredible shooters. Let's watch them shoot kind of way. But as far as actual basketball, it was awful. But um, yeah, I mean, the three-point contest was a lot of fun. It's like Mike Conley really made Steph work for it. And we got to
1: see, you know, the three point contest was, that was a lot of fun. I was, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know why, like I like Mike Conley. I like some of the other guys. Whenever Steph's shooting, I just want Steph to make every three. I wanted him to win so badly. Cause it's just, you just get so much, it's so much fun watching. Cause you know, out of all these guys, he's the, the one you get most confident. In. And it's like, if he starts hitting a few in your row, you just feel like everyone's going in. It looks so clean, leaving his hand every time, and then that last rack where he just needed the one to beat him by one point. There, like, ugh. It, it's it's just a lot of fun. Like you realize why you like all this stuff. It's amazing to watch these guys do this. Where, so I think that's like with the two extra shots from deep they added. That's twenty-seven shots. Like, what is it on the first and on those two racks? Steph must have made like over twenty of his threes on twenty-seven shots. So it's just hard for a normal human to do that.
0: Yeah, he's, it, it really looks like a machine out there. It's just so repetitive with the perfect form. And yeah, you said how clean it looks. It It's really incredible to watch. I, I was just saying, like, I liked that Conley had a really good final round. So Steph had to mm. have that awesome last rack. Like we've seen in contests past where in the final round, no one, the, the first couple guys only have like maybe a 20 and then the last guy doesn't really have to do much to win it it's kind of anticlimactic um just seeing Steph be pressed and like all right Steph you you, you really have to go out and we know you can do it but you have to go and do it otherwise you're not going to win this um that was a lot of fun
1: mm-hmm. Mike and the things I knew Mike Conley would probably be pretty good at it because I remember I watched that stupid horse competition they did early <laughs> on the pandemic
0: I loved the horse competition <laughs> yeah
1: Mike Conley won it and I remember he was like making shots right-handed and in his gym you could see it like Mike Conley, like if it's a very static situation and just like, if that makes sense, like you don't have to worry about getting it off, off the dribble or the fact that he's a little bit shorter or something like that. So the release could take a little bit longer. You just give Mike Conley time to shoot freely. I'm like, that dude's incredibly like has some incredible hand eye coordination.
0: Yeah. He's, he's very famously ambidextrous, which obviously yeah. helped him a great deal in the horse competition. Um, yeah. He's an incredibly skilled guy. And yeah i think the one as as you just pointed out the the one kind of thing that holds him back a little bit is he is undersized mm-hmm. you know especially in today's nba where you talk about point guards and a lot of point guards anymore are like 65 so that that's not the case with with mike obviously but uh yeah he's 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 a great shooter and it was good to see him in his first all-star game that a lot of people were like oh we got to get mike conley the all-star game cuz he was the best player to never make the all-star game in a lot of people's minds. And it's been much discussed over a lot of years. So good to see him, you know, finally get in there and get a little, get a little shine in the three point contest as well.
1: Since we're talking about threes, I'll introduce my next random trivia question for you. You're technically over two, although both of your answers, like the one was a trick question. The other, you were very close. <laughs> they just played that line up five more possessions. You had it. So. Yeah. I, I feel good about my, my answer so far. Okay, so for total three-pointers attempted on the season, can you name the top five, six? You're just going down in order. Who's attempted the most threes, then second, third, fourth, fifth? And this is not per 100, per 36, per game. This is just total threes attempted.
0: Uh, Danny Green. Uh, Moss, Tobias. I'm going to go Shake. And uh, I'll
1: still say Seth, even though he missed a lot of the season. So you have the right five. They're okay. not in the right order. But Danny Green at one is definitely correct. 223s taken on the season. Yeah, Seth, I knew that. Seth is still second with 131, really? 131 threes taken, which is not very many. So i'm danny is by far taking the most threes on the team it's not even close
0: yeah because he's he hasn't really missed any time and mm-hmm. i think he does lead the team in attempts per game too so
1: and it's it's his it's the one thing he does on offense where you're not like danny please stop so <laughs> but um tobias harris right behind seth with one hundred and thirty threes attempted furcon with 119 and then shake with 101 Shake missed some time so that does play into it too yeah um also, interesting from that. So you go through their minutes for that. These guys take... Danny's played 1,051 minutes. Makes sense. Seth at 861, definitely less. Tobias at 1,091, leads the team. Shake Milton got 101 threes up in 727 minutes. Furkan Korkmaz has only played 491 minutes and is still shooting that many threes. Furkan, like, you could see it last night, too, against the Bulls. He was... Furcon was just like, oh, it is Furcon time right now. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot this step back off the dribble. There's one possession he dribbled the entire time, but then just hit a pullback three anyways. Like, it, it's hilarious sometimes to watch him. He has such confidence in himself.
0: Yeah, and, and you need those irrational confidence, guys. Uh, you need one or two on your team. He is that for the Sixers. Yeah, it was, oh, Ben and Joel aren't here. Don't worry, guys. I got this. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and and he he had really good plays off the dribble, like in the pick and roll actions too last night, I thought. So well,
1: yes, yeah, so, because there I did have it right written down like early second quarter. Furcon runs a pick and roll, literally drives to the front of the rim and no Chicago Bulls step in front of him. No one at all ever got in front of him. I mean that helps for sure. (laughs) I I thought it it was good for Furkan. I was like, I thought it was more of a product of, oh geez, the Bulls. Like, like were the Bulls drunk last night? What was going on? They were, they were so bad.
0: Uh, Maybe they got they got into a lot of wine over the All Star break. Maybe Uh, they 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 weren't ready to play.
1: Whatever it was. I mean, like, maybe it seemed like they were. They could have called more fouls on the Sixers. They let the Sixers be pretty physical around the rim I know Zach Levine was just upset with a few no calls where it felt like he was driving hard you know he's an athletic guy who depends a lot on get like Zach is a guy who gets a lot of free throw attempts per game and it just felt like I mean like he got some last night I looking at the specific numbers Zach Levine so he still took four last night but that's not very many it was just no that's like,
0: yeah it's well below his average
1: like so they could have called more of that but man it was just and if, if their offense wasn't through Zach Levine or Lori Markin and it didn't look very good. I, I have, a, I have this theory of Kobe white where I've watched them some now and he like, he might be a guy who is too much North South driving. Cause it feels like he can't go East West. If that makes sense. There is no horizontal movement in this game. It is all just a very straight line, which is good in terms of not wasting time and trying to be productive with it. But like, my guy, you got to shake someone one way to get an advantage at some point. You're too small to just go, like, you can be a pure downhill driver if you're like Keldon Johnson for the Spurs, their second year player who's like built like a tank and just going to go flying into people. Kobe White's a small dude for an NBA player. Like he's not running over anyone and he just goes straight into them because he doesn't seem like he can move side to side with the ball in his hands. And it's weird. I'm just like, (laughs) If you're just going to keep driving straight at them, like you're not doing much, and then defensively, you just get again. It's like other people said, he gets caught on every screen.
0: Yeah, he, he's a defensive liability for sure. I, but, I, I mean, I just feel like his ultimate destiny is a microwave scorer off the bench, where he just comes in, and if it's a night where he's hot, he can like, he can really I mean, help you.
1: But even then, like I'm concerned for that, and I don't want to just turn this into it's a very weird pivot to turn this into the trashing on Terrence Ferguson and Kobe White podcast
0: we've had a lot a lot of bull slander in this podcast
1: <laughs> like Kobe, like like those microwave scores off the bench like Jordan Clarkson Jordan Clarkson can get side to side he's actually very good at weaving his way like he does the thing where I'll just spin and half spin and move his way I think Zach Lowe said he's like miniature point guard Boris diao which is a lot of like those side to side subtle movements Kobe White is all just like Sprinting at like w- sprinting at you in a straight line, or just shooting over you. It's never moving side to side. You need to be able to shake guys like that. Lou Williams like slithers around people because he can kind of do those little side to side movements. That's just it's so weird because I just you don't see a lot of guys like that where you think, man, I really wish you would spend more time like not going north south.
0: Yeah, that's it's definitely something needs to develop. It could just be a case of he was always so much faster than everyone that he never really yeah. needed to diversify his game in that way. And now that he's at the highest level it with guys that are equally athletic, um, it's it, his usual tricks, which aren't really tricks. They're just, hey, I'm faster than you, aren't really working. Um, and it's going to be up to him to either develop that or not. And that will determine his ultimate place in the NBA hierarchy, I think.
1: It's like the Jaleel Okafor thing, where he was his whole game was based on the fact of him being bigger than, stronger than everyone else, and then once he finally wasn't bigger and stronger than everyone else, he ran out of options.
0: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's it. Happens with a lot of guys uh, that they're just so incredibly athletic that they stand out from their peers all their lives, and it works for them. So why would they need to go away from it? And then there eventually reaches a a point where you're not you know superior athletically than your your new peers and you don't have the diversification in your game um, yeah, it's kind of kind of like the peter principle where you get you get promoted beyond your capabilities and and that's kind of the case with with some nba players they mm-hmm. just uh, and and then they eventually you know some of them find roles or or some of them uh, develop new parts of the game and then they continue to succeed it's it's up to them to put the work in and uh Maybe, maybe Kobe White will do that. And maybe he'll just be a guy that is like a eighth man and sometimes has really good shooting nights and helps you. And But some nights you don't really play him much.
1: Now I'm thinking about, so this is going to be a weird pivot, but I'm thinking about Tyrese Maxey because I do, I'm thinking about like that kind of thing. Cause it's like, I think Tyrese got some comps to, a few comps to Kobe White, but not, that's honestly probably more just, I mean, comps are rarely good, but. Like, I think Tyrese, like, one thing I do, like, I do think he can do all those side-to-side movements. And even though Tyrese is very athletic, very quick, he's not, like, a dominant athlete where he doesn't develop. Like, Tyrese, there's a reason he has that floater, as he said, I realized it wasn't going to be that tall, so I kind of needed it. You know, like, developing tricks and counters like that. And I think Tyrese very well can do those side-to-side movements to, like, he'll do those weird, like, He'll take those weird paths getting to the into the paint and how he does it. But I was a little concerned that Doc just wouldn't play Maxi in a game like that last night, like until the very end. Like, and again, we've talked about this. It's very hard for any guard under 6'2 to come in the league as a rookie and not be a net negative. Chris Paul is really the only guard in the modern era to ever do it. And he's Chris Paul. So I understand it, but like it still feels like maxi is a good player who's worth the investment on like especially nights like that where ben and joel are at like doc we should probably be seeing more of tyrese tonight
0: yeah I, I kind of mixed feelings about it um i i think it just cemented that maxi is not a part of the present for the sixers and we're not we're definitely not seeing him as part of the playoff rotation yeah as as I, I was gonna bring this up earlier but just if he's not playing against Chicago when the two stars are out, including the team starting point guard, like he's, he's not seeing the floor in the postseason. And I don't, but, but I don't think that takes away from the fact that he can still be a big part of the team's future. I just think that speaks to, you know, doc and the learning curve for a rookie point guard. Um, And I don't think necessarily if, the game had gone differently. Doc wouldn't have given Maxie a shot earlier in the game. If, if it was a situation where they were, you know, down five to 10 points and the offense was stagnant, he, I think he probably would have thrown him in just as a little wild card. Let's see what you can do. Can you create some offense for us? But the game didn't go that way. They they jumped out to a great start. Everything was working. So why would you deviate from what was working? Especially in a game where, you might not have necessarily thought you were going to win because your two stars were out and you're like, Oh, well, this is actually working. Why do I want to risk, you know, shaking things up at all right now when I, I've kind of caught lightning in the bottle with this rotation I, I, I hit on. Um, so he, so it, it made sense for, from my perspective for doc to just stick with it and, and, and don't go with Maxi where there's a chance where he just comes in and it, he's turning it over and, the shot's not falling and uh but, but you know all that being said we, we've talked about it before just because Maxi's not part of the rotation now doesn't mean he's can't still be a, a great nba player down the road
1: doesn't mean he wasn't a good pick like he i mean in theory like some i could understand some sixers fans maybe wanting like desmond bain from the grizzlies who leads the league in three-point percentage that would be nice to have Maxi is still i think a pretty good pick at 21 for what they got um one thing I did, did just notice now, um, so he's played eighty six possessions when he's inserted for Seth and played with the starters, and those lineups are doing just fine, which is obviously more of a product for them. But I think it does show that Maxi could do. Inter- I think it's just like a feather in Maxi's cap that, yeah, his numbers look bad, but he's also playing with the bench a lot of times, and it uh, maybe not as many of those bench lamps with Tobias Harris. I mean, he's gotten with some of those fine, but like the point being that. Yeah, you insert Tyrese in for Seth Curry into the starting lineup, and it's not like it's bad. It's fine. It shows like, oh, he is not a detriment in any way. No, I don't. I don't think he's
0: in a position where he's going to hurt you uh, too much. I mean, he's he gives great effort defensively, mm. and he has shown the ability to get to the rim. Uh, he hasn't always gotten oh,
1: get to the rim or get to the paint.
0: Right. Yeah. For the, yeah. For the floater or the sometimes get to the rim and he, he doesn't get the, the foul calls because no, he, no, they, they don't respect rookies. And that just and, comes and also the cause he
1: shoots a lot of floaters. Cause he's smaller and it's harder for small guys to get free throws. It's like, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah there's a lot baked into it. Um, yeah, I, I just, this, it, it is what it is right now. I mean, people just shouldn't be surprised that he's not playing at this point and they also shouldn't give up to him, give up on him. It that's It's where we're at. I, 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 it's, nothing about it is surprising and nothing should be concerning.
1: That is one of the, I've gotten so many things wrong. One thing I remember when we did a round table for Liberty Ballers, like some like season predictions and one was like a rotation for the playoffs. And I predicted like trying to put together the nine man rotation was the starters put a plus shake for Dwight Howard and Matisse. I think we like my nine. I said, I probably don't see Maxi making him for a playoff rotation. And that was before the season. So I ended up being right about one thing. I, I will take that. <laughs>
0: take the <laughs> yep, there play. you go. Yeah, the only the only path for Maxi to really be part of the playoff rotation was either his shot developed to the point where he could be like a quirk moss like floor spacer, which that was very unlikely. Or he was so great at creating offense as like a pick and roll ball handler self-creation guy that he kind of took shake spot. Like those were the two paths for him. Um, they they weren't going to th- throw Matisse out of the rotation just because they need that defensive capability. So it had to be either through shake or fork or uh, a moss and both those guys have Shake's been kind of up and down, but we've seen his peaks this year have been really good. And cork moss has, done enough and he has that irrational shooting confidence that the team needs that, Mm -hmm. uh, he's, you know, been fine as part of the rotation and you'd expect that to continue going forward. And, you know, maxi has been a rookie, so he hasn't done nearly enough to, you know, kind of assume that mantle and take one of those spots. So he's just, he's just not going to be part of the playoff rotation as, as barring something drastic. So it's, it's fine. You, the team's in first, and you have this rookie that coming into next year, you can point to oh, well, we lost this piece or this piece in the offseason. Well, maybe Maxi can step in and, with an actual offseason where he didn't get drafted, and then like a week later, he's in a truncated training camp, and then a, a week and a half later, he's playing NBA games. Like, he'll actually have a real offseason to, to work on things and be in an NBA conditioning and development program. Uh, he can step in and that'll be a fun new wrinkle to the team next year. I mean, all this is fine. It's normal.
1: Are you saying the Sixers are a normal team now? I think that might <laughs> they, be a stretch. They kind of are. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh I, I think that one will come back to bite you. I mean, if you did, <laughs> I think again, Andrew, I think had the great line when he wrote about how weird Danny Green and Seth Curry are that Danny Green is a good player, but he's the only other only player in the league who routinely merits a late game sub because his brain is on fire. It's very accurate.
0: Yeah, uh, they they have weird players. Don't get me wrong, but like the roster makes sense now. Like they're playing to their capability. They're not like as a whole, they're pretty normal. I don't know that's that's, uh, that's you, my you thinking will, on
1: it <laughs> those words eventually um Sixers take on the wizards night at 8 p.m eastern uh they've already played them twice the season i want to say i'm pretty sure I, twice. I, I don't know offhand i'm pretty sure they played them twice the first game of the season and also early on joel was awesome in both games uh Joel tends to be awesome in a lot of games. So yes. I, I, I believe thinking, that we're thinking Joel and Ben should be back for tonight. No, it's, it's only out. Joel. Okay. Okay. I always mess this up. I always forget some detail like that.
0: But I guess, I guess they didn't go to the barber on the same day. I guess so. It, it but... was my takeaway. Like they, they have the same barber, but Joel must've went one day earlier than Ben did.
1: It sucks because now we don't get to see the Tony Bradley, Ben Simmons, Dwight Howard Matisse, Thibel lineup.
0: Additional. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll see the Tony Bradley Joel uh Twin Towers lineup.
1: Twin towers, yeah. <laughs> no, no, they they should beat the Wizards. So I mean, we always try like if Joel is playing, they should win, is generally yep. the formula. That's like, the flowchart. Yeah, there I don't Mo Wagner, unless he he can only draw so many offensive fouls. Um I like, I mean, honestly, Bradley Beale could go crazy again. Russell Westbrook will do Russell Westbrook things. He's playing a little better. The, Wizard, the Wizards have been much better since their horrid start to the season. Their net rating was never that bad. They were losing a lot of close games, or not even losing a lot of close games. It was more like they kept losing by like 10. Like, they weren't getting blown out, but they were still just losing. And I mean, they could, it, it will be frustrating today if Bradley Beal is just torching everyone. I'd very much like to see like Matisse Theibel just just let – sick Matisse on Bradley Beal and say, do what you can to make sure it's just – his life is as hard as possible. Which, I mean, Bradley Beal is a very hard guy to stop. There's been stuff written about how he covers a lot of horizontal – like not horizontal. He, like – he doesn't leap high in the air, but he does a great job at picking up his dribble early. And then he just can – he takes really long strides or really knows how to explode, like, toward the rim where he covers a lot of ground and covers a lot of space in the air. So he just like doesn't waste dribbles, and that, that could be give, give Matisse some trouble because Matisse ends up you know like trailing a lot of guys and trying to get back into the play of his arms. So that that's just one thing to think about. I, I mean, I think the Sixers are going to win unless they like. What would what would be the formula for the Sixers to lose tonight? Uh, Bradley Beal goes crazy. The
0: the shooters don't have their legs under them because they're on a road back to back, and Washington had yesterday off um yeah i don't know it's just a high scoring game where the wizards make like 12 more threes than the sixers do i I think that would be the formula
1: over under russell westbrook 25 points i'll say yeah 25 points i'll say under i i would go on because he's not gonna he's not gonna finish it over joel at the rim if he gets there
0: yeah, that's the thing. Like the Sixers have Joel back tonight, so their rim protection should continue to be great. And Russ isn't a guy that's going to light you up from the outside, so I I feel okay about him not having a huge scoring night. It'd be it's Beal that I'm
1: really more concerned about. Here's another one, Mo Wagner. I remember last year he led the league in charges, like drawn per forty eight, and. He is very much a weak guy who relies a lot on being overly physical, fouling, but then also trying to draw offensive fouls. If he is playing minutes at the same time as Dwight Howard, how many offensive (laughs) fouls will be called against Dwight? Three three feels possible. Three's a lot.
0: Uh, Have you you watched Dwight? (laughs) I I have, but he's just—he's not out. You know, Joel's back and Joel's rested, so it's not like Dwight's only going to play.
1: 15 minutes at most if he starts and if he starts racking up the fouls we can always just sick tony bradley yeah (laughs) exactly tony bradley the low post monster on them yeah
0: so i i i would go as far as saying dwight would have two offensive fouls i I think (laughs) three's a lot like i forgot this like dwight had five fouls last night (laughs) i didn't forget (laughs) (laughs) he was he was in dwight form
1: He played he played 24 minutes, just racked up five fouls after the Utah game where we couldn't believe he had he was scoring well and he had zero fouls against the Jazz. Like, yeah, that was the outlier.
0: Like last night was Dwight. It wasn't quite the worst of Dwight in terms of being reckless and moving screens and
1: like hacking the crap out of guys but it was pretty close the the worst is the offensive rebounds on free throws where he like picks a guy up and just tosses him like dwight buddy yeah what, what do you think the ref is looking at and you're very it's very you also build a reputation at some point where the other team's like oh like not that he's a dirty player but it's that oh dwight commits a lot of fouls i should probably be watching when he's near another center and they're being physical and yeah. exactly. And,
0: and it's kind of obvious when the enormous seven footer is like tossing someone two feet to the right
1: like like chris Chris Paul's <laughs> six feet flat he can get away with a lot of stuff because he's like it's hard to see what he's doing dwight when you walk up to like uh thad young and grab him by his shoulders the ref will probably like the ref <laughs> a red alarm goes off
0: <laughs> yeah it, yeah chris paul in in the fray around guys' knees, punching them in the groin, you're not always going to catch that one. But uh yeah, you see Dwight. But you know, he had five fouls, but it was in it was in
1: 20 some minutes. You know, normally his five fouls come in 14 minutes. So the fact I'm that I'm looking through the box scores trying to find find like the funniest. Like Dwight racked up a ton of fouls in like so few minutes. Uh fifth game the season the game against the Magic he had four fouls in 14, which is pretty hard to do. <laughs> yeah so that's
0: that's the the weight foul ratio that really gets out of hand him doing it in 20 some minutes doesn't really concern me too much he's
1: only fouled out of one game this year which is amazing it was the loss to Brooklyn where they played horrible against the Brooklyn like guys that weren't like you know was Brooklyn was without their superstars the first time and they played really badly yeah um I think that was the Ben Simmons three was that the Ben Simmons? but I don't I don't remember Ben having a bad game that night but um Basically, because that was the Seth that was the Seth Curry COVID game. Okay, I'm remembering now. And Dwight though six fouls in 15 minutes of play.
0: Yep, <laughs> there you go. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's the full Dwight experience. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he had he had one moving screen last night. He had you know one or two other bad fouls, but him getting five in in 20
1: some minutes is I'm okay with that. We you know after all the after all the backup centers through the years we will. Gladly live with a guy whose worst trait is so that he overpowers guys too much at times. Yeah. He had 18 and 12 with a couple blocks. He played well. He played really well. <laughs> Still a pro-Dwight podcast. Yeah. All right. One last trivia question before you go. And again, just making sure it seems like we're both pretty confident the Sixers will beat the Wizards. I'm very confident though, it'll be unnecessarily close down the stretch, because that's what they do. But Last question before you go, who leads the Sixers in field goal percentage on the season? Even though I don't like using field goal percentage, true shooting percentage is a much more indicative stat of a player's, like, oh. value for that. But who leads the team in field goal percentage?
0: It's got to be new franchise player, Tony Bradley, right?
1: You are correct. There you go. 63%. <laughs> yeah. You know, although when you shoot oh, – what is it? I'm trying to I can. – let's see if I can do the quick math on what he was shooting before last night. Okay, we're just going to speed run this, like – uh totals were he has now taken 46 shots on the season and hit 29 so before that he was 22 for 39 which is still gonna, really good gonna come out to 56 percent. so he boosted his percentage he made seven shots and boosted his percentage by seven percentage points last night
0: not bad for a night's work
1: what What a legend
0: yeah that there's a reason that MVP favorite Joel Embiid was willing to hand the keys to the team over to him.
1: Would you rather the keys be handed over to Tony Bradley or back to Brian Colangelo?
0: <laughs> give, give him the Tony Bradley, please. Yeah. Let
1: Tony, let Tony Bradley conduct the draft. He
0: he, he couldn't do worse than uh, the, the full stadium trade. So.
1: Oh, what a way to end. John, <laughs> great talking to you this week. We'll see you all again next week when hopefully your Sixers are still in first in the East. Great win against the Bulls last night, no matter how bad they were. Hopefully, they get another one against the Wizards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first place in the East. The the underrated part of uh, Joel and Ben's barber getting COVID was that they got to rest completely over the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. So that that was a, a nice little silver lining, actually. Um, after watching that All-Star game, there wasn't a point where I said, man, I really wish Joel and Ben were out there. So (laughs) I I kind of felt okay about it. So yeah, first place in the East. Everything's looking good right now. Uh, Hopefully that continues. And we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.